I think accepting hardship as a pathway to peace was a was probably the biggest deal for me because it was the first time in my life I had ever actually understood that life doesn't have to be perfect, that nobody has a perfect life. That was Tracy Winchell, and this is The Share Podcast. It's time for The Share Recovery Podcast, where we bring you amazing life-changing success stories from addicts and alcoholics all over the world who share their inspiring journey in recovery. And now, here's your host, Oh. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Share Podcast. And today, we have Tracy Winchell joining us on the show. And today, for the first time, we go in-depth into Celebrate Recovery. Up until this interview, I had very little experience or understanding of Celebrate Recovery or the background and where it came from. And Tracy does a magnificent job of not only telling us her story, but also explaining what Celebrate Recovery is all about. If you're interested in a brand new pathway of recovery and you think that Celebrate Recovery might be the one for you, then you don't want to miss this episode. So let's dive into Tracy's interview. But first, a quick message from our sponsors. Are you looking for a new recovery-related podcast to add to your playlist? Then I have great news for you. The SRC has recently launched its first podcast titled The Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. In the SRC, the Share Recovery Community, we have some amazing online meetings every single day. And one of those is our Tao Recovery Meeting. In this meeting, one chapter of the Tao Te Ching is discussed every week as to how it relates to recovery. The content is so good, we decided to share this meeting as a podcast. So go to your favorite podcast app and search for the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast to check this podcast out today. Are you ready to take control of your business, family, and personal life? Are you ready to get clear, get focused, and get results now? Are you ready to boost your confidence through the roof? Well, it's time to level up and add passion, fulfillment, and purpose back into your life right now. My name is Omar Pinto, and I am a certified NLP life coach specializing on enhancing your business, family, and personal life, as well as a certified peer-to-peer recovery specialist who specializes in addiction recovery. Let me show you how to create balance, harmony, and success into your life daily. Go to www.omarpinto.com and schedule a free consultation with me today. Today's episode of the Share Podcast is brought to you by the Share Recovery Community. The Share Recovery Community is our new online recovery resource that offers online recovery meetings as well as peer-to-peer recovery support and coaching that will enhance your journey in recovery. If you find it difficult to make regular meeting attendance in your area or are unable to find the recovery meetings that fit your needs, then the Share Recovery Community is the perfect place for you. And the best part is you can try out the Share Recovery Community for the introductory rate of only $1 in the first month. And after that, It's only $12 a month that once again include live online meetings, peer-to-peer support, and recovery coaching. So for more information about this amazing recovery resource, go to www.thesharepodcast.com, go to the top of the navigation bar, and click on the button that says Share Recovery Community, and join the Share Recovery Community for only $1 today. 
And if you haven't done so already, don't forget to leave us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It's one of the best ways to show your support for the podcast. Hey, Tracy, thanks for joining us. Hey, Omar, thank you so much for having me. It's a great opportunity to, uh, and a privilege to, to share my story. Excellent. I'm excited to have you on the show. How are you feeling today? Good. Medium energy after uh, kind of a low energy couple of days. Um, and, uh, you know, I'd rather not be low to medium energy, but sometimes you just got to take what you got, right? Yes. Yes. Sometimes you do. So with that being said, uh, folks, today we have Tracy Winchell. Like Winchell, like with the Winchell's Donuts? I think so. I've been told that uh, there is some relation, but I've not seen any dough. Get it? Got it. (laughs) 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 So (laughs) we've got Tracy Winchell joining us on the Share Podcast. Tracy is the host of Reboots Podcast, which features stories about people who have been forced to start over either through their own missteps or through no fault of their own. Story with heart, soul, and grit. Sound about right, Tracy? Yeah, I hope that I hope that works. Yeah, we've been doing that about a year and a half. So yeah. That's that sounds about right. Excellent. All right, so let's dive right in. And so first of all, before we go into your story, tell us a little bit about what your normal daily routine looks like, including your recovery. You know, uh, thankfully, I my not all of my days look exactly alike. I my my weeks pretty much look alike in that um, Mondays and Tuesdays. Uh, I, I typically hole up for most of the day and either do some creating uh, where I, I produce some content or um, work really hard to grow my business. On Monday nights, I go to my first recovery meeting of the week, and I have the privilege every now and then to, uh, to um, uh, give a lesson. Um, and I am actually the training coach at this group, so I get to train our leaders how to do different things. Um, by Wednesday, uh, I, I sort of am taking more appointments, either doctor's appointments uh, or podcast interviews uh, for, for reboots. Um, and then on Thursdays, uh, it, that's usually pretty busy. I, I, I live about 25 miles outside of uh, Fort Smith, Arkansas, a community of about 90,000. So I live in a farm community of about 2,000. So when I say go to town, I'm talking about coming from Lavaca, Arkansas to Fort Smith. So I try to do a bunch of in-town appointments that day. And I go to my second recovery meeting of the week. Uh, I do serve sometimes, but uh, most of the time I work my recovery there. I call that kind of my, my, my home recovery. And then on Fridays, you know, it's boring stuff like uh, uh, do clean sheets, laundry, uh, really devote Fridays and Saturdays to either family or uh, my sponsees or my sponsor, that kind of thing. And so, and the program we're talking about here is Celebrate Recovery, right? Yes. Yes. I have a very small understanding of Celebrate Recovery. Can you expand a little bit? Uh, this is the first time I've got somebody from Celebrate. So, so tell us a little bit about Celebrate. Love to. Okay, good. Uh, it started a 
about, I think about 27 years ago at Saddleback, a guy named uh, Rick Warren pastors that church and um, uh, a guy named uh, John Baker had been working his recovery uh, through Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, he wrote the book, um, A Purpose Driven Life, mm. uh, and it, he shares his, uh, I'm sorry, Rick Warren broke, uh, wrote Purpose Driven Life. John Baker wrote... Um, Gosh, I can't remember the name of it now, Omar. Um, no it's an worries. intro book to um, to celebrate recovery and okay. the Beatitudes, basically. Um, but he he'd been working his program for a long time, and you know Saddleback's a really big church, and a whole bunch of his buddies were working their programs, and um, he realized that uh, Saddleback was really missing the boat. In fact, the church was missing the boat because um, people who who followed Jesus Christ um, didn't feel at home at church talking about their struggles, right? And so kind of what's the real point of church then if you can't do that? And uh, he he worked for months on, uh, I think it was like a 13-page single-spaced outline. Uh, he took the 12 steps from Alcoholics Anonymous with permission and um, tied scripture to these things, the teachings of Jesus Christ, no kidding stuff that that all matches up. Rick Warren came along and um, built eight steps around that. And interestingly enough, uh, these eight steps uh, or eight principles look really familiar if you if you ever read uh, um, uh, Saint Thomas, um, his take on the Beatitudes. Um, so they kind of got to talking about it and uh, decided to to launch it. And uh, John Baker was the leader, and they didn't know how to set up small groups. They started to work with a couple of guys named uh, Henry Cloud and John Townsend, who wrote the book Boundaries back in the 90s. And those two guys started to help them learn how to set up very safe groups built according to um, sound psychological science principles. And so it has grown ever since. And uh, every year, Celebrate Recovery hosts two leadership conferences. One is on the East Coast. One is on the West Coast. And Cloud and Townsend appear every single year. And so uh, one of the biggest principles of Celebrate Recovery is leadership training. Um, you know, the, the, the first thing that uh, when we grow leaders that uh, we emphasize is we take care of our own recoveries first. Second, we grow leaders. No, the second is newcomers. And third is we grow leaders out of that. Um, so that um, what someone who walks into a recovery meeting anywhere in the world, um, you know, 25,000 churches uh, have hosted celebrate recovery or continue to, to host all over the world. Um, and upwards of like 5 million people have benefited from uh, the 12 steps of celebrate recovery, which is pretty much um, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. And it's all taken from the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount that, that Jesus taught. So um, uh, someone who walks into a recovery 10 years from now for the very first time 
hopefully they're going to have a similar experience as the person who walks into uh, one of our Celebrate Recovery meetings tomorrow night at Community Bible Church in Fort Smith. Beautiful, beautiful. Okay. Um, yeah, I've, I've, I've never, I've never been to one. Uh, I, I know that they exist. So this is a great like synopsis of, of how that all works, where it came from, um, and how big it's gotten. It's, it's, That's huge. Yeah. it's huge. It's a lot bigger than I imagined. Yeah. It's a kind of a big deal. I'm a firm believer that when something is providing a, a, a service, it has purpose, God does what needs to happen, and, and it just kind of takes off. So the right people, the right people connect with it. They launch it. It's just like all the other fellowships, right? It is. How re- it's how Refuge took off. It's how AA took off. It's how all the different A's took off, and it's how Celebrate Recovery took off. So it's it's a it's wonderful because today more than ever is opportunities to find recovery that works for you because there's just so many more pathways now that you can connect with. Exactly. And and that's kind of that that's the key. Uh, I have a lot of friends I've met through CR who um uh still are very active in AA and in NA and um it's very important to them to continue to be active because these are people who um realized through working their recovery that um part of their issue was they didn't understand who God was. Mm-hmm. They thought mm-hmm. this, he was just some mean dude out to get all of us. And so um, it's really important for them to continue to reach out and share their stories with people who, um, who reject God and maybe they'll find him and maybe they won't. And either way, it's okay. What they're looking for initially is to help people um, find sobriety, you mm-hmm. know, and, and there are all different ways, you know, we, we could, you and I could probably take both sides of that. Do you find sobriety first or do you find God first? Who really cares, right? The, the point is to get there somehow and to help other people get there. And then hopefully with one, they find the other. Yeah, that's the right attitude. That's exactly, that's, that's way I, I believe that, um, I mean, you come in so tainted f- on so many levels from so many things. And to try and, and push an agenda or a mindset or a belief system on someone too soon could push them out the door. So I exactly. love that. Doesn't, you know, exactly. re- maybe recovery comes first. Maybe, maybe their higher power comes first. Who's to say? And, and it really makes no difference. The objective is the same. We want to give them a safe place to begin to heal. Yeah, absolutely. Wonderful. All right, so um, let's look at this. Tracy Tracy's not addicted to drugs or alcohol. Um, you're addicted to other things. Your recovery yeah. path is for, for other things. Expand a little bit about what that looks like yeah. and, and uh, a clean date that you've kind of put together for yourself. Well, I walked into a recovery meeting um, in like – uh, it's either January tw- or June 20th or maybe even the Thursday before that of 2013. Um, I, I had a uh, the date on a on a little 
uh, blue chip that I took my very first night and it's worn off. So I can't tell you what the date is, but I have uh, five years of recovery. Uh, I walked into a recovery meeting because uh, of unresolved grief. I, I thought I was the only person on the planet whose 80-year-old dad had died. Uh, I didn't care that anyone else was grieving the loss of my dad. I didn't care that other people had uh, suffered great heartache and loss. I couldn't imagine that their pain was greater than mine. So there's that comparison thing, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, and I was a broken, angry mess. Uh, my relationships uh, were, were struggling. Uh, work was a wreck. Um, life was just not good. And I'd had people... Um, telling me I needed help. And I was doing a lot of different things, Omar. I was um, uh, working with my family practitioner. I'd been referred to a psychiatrist. I was doing uh, counseling um, every week, every other week, something like that. Uh, and and I was uh, seeing a friend of mine um, uh, at least once a month who's a, who's a minister. And he was giving me these assignments. Uh, journal your way through the book of John. Journal your way through uh Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. And Omar ticked me off when I got to blessed are those who mourn. I was so mad. Um, and so that kind of set the stage for walking into a recovery meeting. I, I, I had a friend who uh, had just started her recovery journey about 60 miles north of me. Um, and she was like, you know, you, you got to get a grip. And I can't say that anymore because I'm different. And I thought, well, that's just stupid. And over the next few months, I realized she was different. You know, I've I've been friends with this incredible woman for like 30 years. We were friends for a long time and she was different. And um, I just walked into a meeting all by myself one night and um, I waited until um, uh, we we do worship every week. And uh, this particular Celebrate Recovery has music. And so, um, we don't meet where we did then. Um, we met in a in in a, a kind of a smaller facility instead of uh, the main auditorium, so I could hear the drums. And I would wait until I heard drums before I got out of the car. This went on for weeks, just because I didn't want to be there, but I didn't have any other choice really. Um. So, yeah, uh, I realized that um, you know I worked my step four. And I realized that uh, how I processed grief beginning at the age of six was just not healthy. And it's not anything anybody had done to me, you know, and and there was a long time, Omar, where I just felt like, gosh, maybe, first of all, I don't want to be here because I don't want people to think I'm a drug addict. Okay. I'm ashamed of that, Omar. But then there was a, a time when I was, when I realized, wait a minute, I haven't overcome nearly as much as these amazing people have. So the the women and men that uh, taught me that their lives depended on working the 12 steps caused me to take my recovery seriously. And so there was a time when I thought, I don't deserve to be thought of as a drug addict because I'm not a hero, you know? Um, mm. I don't, that may not make Interesting. sense. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I, mm. I just felt unworthy because someone who, who battles and has overcome and continues to battle everything that, is, that, that comes with a, a chemical addiction, Omar, um, 
and I'm getting a little overclimped here, but these are my heroes. They've taught me, you know, there is no time for BS in recovery. You either take it seriously or don't waste my time, right? Or, or die. Or die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so now then it's like, I am proud and honored when someone uh, who uh, has a chemical addiction welcomes me to recovery um, because I don't know that I would have worked my recovery seriously without people who say, this is how I do it because my life depends on it. So through all of that process over the past five years, you know, now I understand that it wasn't so much grief Um, It's the underlying things. And every year I scrape off a little bit more crap. And so here in my fifth years, I've worked through the the principles. Um, I think the the biggest character flaws that I'm dealing with are are perfectionism um, and anger and resentment. I'm a whole lot better at those things, but they come up when I am exhausted or Mm -hmm. I don't feel well, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's kind of my deal. Beautiful, beautiful. Wow, I wasn't expecting all that right off the bat, but thank you. <laughs> I, we got deep fast. <laughs> man, this, this is not a game, Omar. It no. is not a game. No. You know, it's just Life not. Death. Life and yeah. death. Life and death. You know what I like, too, is how through your journey of the fourth step, you were able to go back in time to identify some root cause issues from the age of six. Yeah. And there's so much about recovery that if you allow yourself to really surrender and let go, if there's that element of trust um, and surrender, the questions are probing enough. The the exercise and the work that you do is is deep to a point where you can literally reach the ability, the ability to be really profound with what goes on and what's happened in your life. The only stumbling block or the only thing holding us back is us. We don't want to let go. We don't want to open up. We have a tough time trusting. But when, when you're able to kind of look at these, and, and it's funny how you would, you know, you look at these recovery heroes, people that have battled drugs and alcohol, you know, we just consider ourselves just these you know, wrecks, um, people that does so much damage, so much harm. I I think anyone, anyone willing to go deep, anyone willing to uncover all of the emotional baggage that we've been carrying on for years, the negative self-talk that we've been carrying on for years to become a better person, what that does is it allows us to show up differently for our community and more importantly, it allows us to show up differently for our family and our children. So we stop carrying those those horrible, negative emotional that emotional baggage, and and especially the negative self talk that we carry along with us. So I totally can relate with the emotional state of of being so grateful because that's that's what I that's what I'm gathering from. From what you were just talking about here, just this, ex- just just this incredible sense of gratitude uh, for for finding recovery the way that you did, working it the way that you did, finding the people that you did, and being able to get to where you're at today. Because you know, perfectionism and anger and resentment those are all things that 
we all deal with. I think it's 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 beyond just addicts and alcoholics. There's a lot to be angry about. There is. There's a lot to be angry about. Yeah. Yeah. So I get it. We like to say recovery is not for those who need it. It's those who want it. And mm-hmm. and all of these things um, can be toxic. They can ruin relationships. And, you know, I, I just, I, I, this may sound crazy, um, but uh, the last two or three times I've shared my story, um, I have, I have suggested that even though I could be wrong, that I believe that the 12 steps of recovery um, can heal our angry nation, our angry world, if we'll just kind of start breaking down the, the walls of stigma and stop looking at people who, who have made mistakes, the wrong mistakes, right? We all make mistakes, but it's so easy for us as a society to um, – to say, well, you made the wrong mistake, but it's public and because it's it's um, embarrassing because it's illegal versus um, the the toxic habits that they have. And so, you know, here I was comparing my problems to somebody else. And then I finally figured out, wait, 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 wait. God cares that I'm in pain just as much as he cares that someone else who has um lost her husband and her brother to suicide. He cares just as much about my grief as he does hers. Right. And so the same is true when, when we as a society say, well, those people screwed up. And so they're the trash of the earth. Well, it's a whole lot easier than to say that, than to look at the damage that person has caused because of the people who have hurt them and taught them how to lash out in anger, how to um, be outraged at every single thing that happens instead of loving somebody, um, despite your disagreements. And so, yeah, I think the 12 steps are a really, really big deal, Omar. They are a big deal. I've said it before. I mean, I've been in recovery for 15 years. So I've said if everyone worked the steps, the world would be a much happier, safer place. Absolutely. Um, if you were to work, the, if everyone was to work the steps, you have an opportunity to get rid of the guilt, shame, anger, bitterness, and resentment that you carry around with you all day long. Yes, I agree. And it change, once, that, once that's lifted and that emotional change or state changes – then again, it's who you show up with, who, how you show up in the world. That's the thing. If I show up as someone who is filled with guilt and shame and anger and bitterness and resentment, then that's how I show up for, for everyone. And I, and, I, and I carry that. Now, if I'm somebody who has love, tolerance, patience, acceptance, uh, goodwill, and that's how I show up, then all of a sudden... What does that do to the people around us? What does that do to our work environment? We, we become the change we want to see in the world. So I, I, I agree. I agree. I think we, we kind of uh, drifted on a tangent, but it's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm known for those, my brother Omar. I'm pretty good All right. So um, I'm not going to ask you this next question because it wasn't about... Uh, drinking or, dr- or drugs. Um, but I think you're warmed up, Tracy. 
So, so let's just dive into your story. Um, tell us about, in other words, I normally ask, you know, the battle against drugs and alcohol. So in this case, I guess it would be the, the battle against anger, resentment, guilt, grief, um, the wreckage it caused in your life uh, when you hit rock bottom, and then finally your journey into recovery up until today. So it's your show. Take it away, Tracy. Um, well, I shared what brought me to a recovery meeting um, and kind of fast forwarded through my first year. My understanding is that other recovery groups will do a, a, a thing called a step study. Um, mm -hmm. We have four books that we walk through together as a group of women or men. Um, and uh, I happened to get in a, the group that was the very first that um, that my church put on. And, uh, since I've done about four of those and, and that, that's pretty incredible to just work the steps together. It's a highly structured environment. We do not chit chat during those. We, we, uh, do our assignments. We show up, we read our answers and we do not respond. We do not try to fix other people and we don't show up someone else. And, I don't like to share with other people. That was profoundly uncomfortable for me. The first I was just month. thinking that. I was totally just thinking. <laughs> oh, man, it is it, it is brutal until I finally realized. Oh my gosh, the things that that the women around me have been through. Um, you know, we we start to to dive into things, and that again, that's where I started to realize these women are courageous. Um, and I, I started to see other people differently. I started to see myself differently. And when I shared the stuff that uh, I, I was most embarrassed about, uh, the, the anger uh, that, that I had lashed at, the things that I lashed out at other people about over the years, and what I got back was acceptance and love. And um, wow. Then I began to understand that God loved me just as as I am. Um, now the the journey toward um, the the self love and self acceptance that's been another thing. Because Omar, you were talking about self talk. Oh man, I battled that. Uh, I battled that like crazy. I don't know when I'm telling myself the truth and when I'm lying to myself. Um, about uh, whether or not I should have worked a little harder, um, whether or not I did a good job. Um, did I eat too much or not enough? If I'm feeling pretty good about myself, I may think that, uh, think that uh, uh, I walked a lot last week. And then when I pull out my Fitbit metrics, I realize, well, I didn't No, I didn't walk very much. And I'm going to pay for that next week. Because I have asthma and my lungs are not going to work. You know, it's a this delayed reaction. And so that self-talk, it's super important for me then to um, tell myself the truth every day. And I have a series of journal prompts that I use to help me tell myself the truth. I'm learning to be kinder to myself by writing a letter to my next day self. Um on the next day, on the opposing page, I write a letter to God, um, and I, I realize that He's just this—he's just this being that um, loves me and wants the best for me. Um, 
and I can tell him anything. If I'm mad at him, he can take it, right? Um, so, yeah, I, I think I think self-talk is is probably my biggest struggle right now because I think everything has to be perfect. I'm not very willing to um, to just try something, and and that's the case in growing my business. You know, um, trying to get more uh, uh, eyeballs and ears on the Reboots podcast. It's a thing that I think I'm doing obediently, um, but it's not enough to just say, here, God, here it is. I keep hearing back, well, uh, you're working in one area, but you're not asking people to listen to it. And you've got great stories. So why don't you care if other people are listening? That's kind of a big question, right, Omar? That is. That is. If I'm going to write a, if I'm going to, if I'm going to create content, but I'm not willing to ask you and your listeners to um, say, "Gosh, have a listen to one of my my episodes. Maybe it'll help." What does that say about what I think about myself and my work? Right? It says I'm uh, afraid. Exactly. So, you know, I, I lost my job about three years ago. Uh, it, was, it was a high-profile position, um, and it was pretty painful. But I had three or four years of recovery under my belt, and thankfully, uh, m- my self-worth was no longer wrapped up in what I did for a living and who I worked for. And I'm not saying it was a cakewalk. Uh, it, it, it's been hard, but I sold my house. Um I moved in with my mom. My mom, she jokes around, uh, she just had a birthday in July, and she jokes around, in 350-something days, I'm going to be 80. And she's in great health. We're, we're very close. Uh, she's one of my heroes. Um, but there may come a time when I really need to spend a lot of my time taking care of her. And so this, this business opportunity, this, this podcast is an act of trust and submission and obedience based on, um, you know, years of broadcasting experience. And um, so uh, this is very much a part of my recovery. The fact that I'm sharing other people's stories, the fact that I'm working through my own self-doubt and my own perfectionism, um, without this side of my business, I'm still not working my recovery. But at the same time, you know, where's this going next? I don't know. And 10 years ago, Tracy would be all freaked out about that right now, but I'm not because I believe that this phase of my life is a gift um, to either give back and to learn and, continue to work my recovery it's all wrapped up in there together omar so that brings us up to what's happening in your life now but what were what was that part of your life prior to reboot prior to celebrate recovery there was this time frame Mm, that even started from six years old yeah. Okay. These, I'm following. I've got all these issues. So, what's the trajectory? What's that? What's that look like from from as early as you can remember to when you hit that rock bottom and started recovery? Okay. Um, when I was six, I had some great friends who lived across the street, and um, this was uh, 
back right around 1970. And so divorce was not a thing then, you know, that was, you just didn't do that. Even when the marriages were falling apart, uh, my friend's uh, dad left and uh, I was heartbroken as were they. And that was my first experience with, with grief, um, grieving the loss of that family. And um, I perceived it to be the loss of a father's love. But, um, you know, 55-year-old Tracy understands that it, it's a lot more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I guess my, my next encounter with grief uh, was... Um, I had I had a relative who um, uh, took her son, um, and again, this is divorce. Uh, left her husband, and uh, it felt as if uh, she took her uh, uh, and her son away from me. They moved a long way away, and there were a lot of other complications that, uh, for privacy' sake, I'll I'll, I'll not go into here. Um, but I missed her. And I grieved the loss of, of that relationship um, for many, many, many years. Um, she, she has uh, a, a brother who we thought had died uh, in, a, in a car accident. Turns out he wasn't. And so we had him for a few more years. And then he was killed in a, in a, in a tractor-trailer accident. I missed him very much. Um, and then ultimately, um, uh, my aunt died. Um, and so here are these losses that just, they were difficult on me. The, the, the loss of, uh, uh, relationships. Um, I, I, I want to be very careful about the, uh, the, 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 the broken relationship with a, a guy that I thought I might marry. Um, we're friends now. It was bad, but, um, I, I want to protect him. That was that was probably my first bout with depression. Um, and and interestingly enough, uh, three years later uh, is when I just really um, emotionally and physically collapsed. Got back on my feet, um, and life was pretty good. But again, I'm stuffing the grief down. I'm stuffing these feelings of abandonment down because um, I'm, I'm an only child. I've had a, a pretty good upbringing, uh, a great mom and dad. And so uh, I've, I've won awards. I've had some really high profile positions um, in careers, uh, high stress. I expected a lot of myself. And when someone would hand me an award and um, I would get all kinds of applause or, or praise, um, there was zero celebration, Omar. This was, um, I don't know why you would clap because, uh, I don't have any excuses. This is what I expect of myself. So I had no idea how to, how to celebrate a good day. Right. And, um, all of that conspired to then, um, the the moment that my greatest fears were realized, the loss of a parent, um, I just I just didn't know how to act anymore because every bit of these every one of these losses brought me greater internal strife and bitterness and um, anger. So by the time my dad died, um, man, I was mad. 
uh, he and I didn't have very pleasant conversations. And, I, and in, the, in, in, in the process of all of that, I was beginning to shut myself off from people. Um, I, I, on TV, I play a very gregarious person. In reality, I am not. And so um, I, I have close friends. I've always had close friends, but I want a little bit of distance between me and them. I don't hang out with people on a daily basis. I will tear, tell my life story to a few people, um, and this is until recovery. Um, but the other part of that is that I want other people to know my business, especially when I can impugn the integrity of the people who have hurt me. That's not me anymore, but that was me. And that was the only reason that I would tell my stuff was when I could drag other people down. So this notion that, you know, a few minutes ago when you asked me to walk me through my recovery journey, I, I, I'm super careful to protect the people who have hurt me. That's a big deal in my recovery um, because I've learned to value them um, and restore a whole bunch of the broken relationships. So. I don't know. It is, did, did I answer your question there? There's a whole lot to unpack there. Well, share my podcast. When I'm interviewing drug addicts, it's about the story. And so inside the story is the stories. There is this trajectory that, that, that brings you up into this, this rock bottom moment. So there was this culmination or this buildup where finally you can't take anymore. I've had enough. I've had enough of the bitterness, the anger, the resentment, the guilt, the grief. And if I don't do something about it, this is going to happen. So what was that moment five years ago that was so painful that it brought you into recovery? I was working really hard. I've been asked before if if in the loss of my dad, I'd lost hope. And and I don't think I had because I was working so hard to get better and nothing seemed to be working, not medicine, not counseling, um, you know, two types of counseling. None of it was working. Uh, and I was exhausted. Um, and uh, I, I just, I walked into a recovery meeting knowing <laughs> that, um, I was just going to check it out. Maybe somebody in there could explain to me the stupidest thing Jesus ever said, which is blessed are those who mourn. It was just dumb. And um, what I found was not what I was looking for. I didn't, I had no idea what I was looking for. I was looking for a community of people who, who, who loved me and accepted me as I was. Um, So, you know, that just that moment of clarity was just deciding I'm exhausted. I'm not sleeping. Um, Nothing is helping me feel better or get better. I'm just a train wreck of a human being. I'm mad at everybody. Um, So I'm going to go give this thing one more shot. I I might can do it except for all these people. I don't want to be around a hundred and. 20 or 30 something people. Um, but I just, I didn't feel like I had any, any, any other choices, you know? Um, and that the challenge the first night was give it six weeks. And if you don't like it, we'll give you your misery back. 
You guys have the same slogans, <laughs> the same cliches, the same yeah, pitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, right? It works. It does. It if does. If you work it. See, uh, there I go. Again. Yeah, there it goes again. Um, and and I would sit in those small groups. The way we do CR, we do we do uh, a worship set. We welcome the newcomer. Uh, that was me. Um, uh. And then we have a large group, a teaching or a story. So we alternate every week. Um, and the teachings were stupid. So I thought, no, I'm, no, I am teaching. Right. <laughs> so the teachings were just, that's, that's just baloney. Right. My friend Ed says life is meant to be endure, enjoyed even when it must be endured. So that's the dumb, the second dumbest thing I've ever heard. Right. The first is blessed are those who mourn. The second is life is meant to be enjoyed even when it must be endured. So anyway, I, I'm just, I'm giving this a try. I'm bawling through worship, um, mm -hmm. great music, powerful words. Um, I go to small group. I'll, I get lost going home at night. So I wander around from group to group every week because I don't remember where I was the previous week. I'm hearing these stories. Some weeks I can speak and some weeks I can't just because I'm exhausted and I'm crying. And, and what happened over a period of time is that, that no one cared that I was Tracy Winchell, former broadcaster, that I was Tracy Winchell, former radio DJ, that I was Tracy Winchell who gets her name in the paper because of her current position as the communications manager of, of the municipality that we lived in. No, no one brought those things up to me until a year in recovery when I outed myself by sharing my story. And then probably 40 to 50 people said, I remember when you, you, when you were on the radio. I remember you when you were on TV. So the gift that they gave me, I had no idea that I was looking for anonymity, Omar. I had no idea that what I was going to find was me finally accepting me for who I am, which is a blubbering mess at the moment, right, in that first year. Um, and I, I just, I can't describe the process other than after a few months, people started saying, you're different. And that's good. <laughs> you know, um, I'm blessed that a lot of people love me and they have loved me, but they were really tired of me by 2012 and 2013. I was exhausting my friendships. And my mom was like, I'm getting my daughter back. So I shared with my mom as I worked through the 12 steps, uh, I asked her a lot of questions so that I would make sure my memory was right or, or wrong because I'm learning to tell myself the truth. I, I, I learned to stop comparing my grief with someone else's, my struggles with someone else's, um, my victories and my struggles are mine. They're not someone else's. And so, you know, I ask people um, before I ask them to share their stories of recovery or um, uh, their business reboots or whatever, was your, was your reboot a moment or a series of moments or a choice or a series of choices? And 
And the reason I ask this is because I, I can't pinpoint this, this moment where I knew things were about to get better. They just gradually got better in much the same way as they gradually got worse. So my reboot story is all of the above and I'm still in the midst of my professional reboot. Um, And it's, it's just, it's about a series of choices that I make every single day Um, in the midst of all of this change. I lost a very close friend um, he died rather suddenly, and that was not what I was expecting. Uh, my consulting business was doing pretty good my first year, but when he died, I knew life was too short. I had to scrap all of this stuff and build this this reboot story thing that had kind of been banging around in my head for a while, and he's been gone um, two years in October, and uh, a few weeks ago, I had another meltdown. Um, I I was mad at him. Uh, try being mad at a dead guy, right? <sighs> in 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 my my moment of rage, I lashed out at two of the people closest to me who had also loved him. I was getting ready to teach a lesson on amends. That's great. The lesson's almost done, and I'm really mad at this guy. I'm having a hard time forgiving, and I can't make an amends with him. And it's making me mad. And so there were three or four days where I was a wreck, but I had the steps of recovery to work. I was able to lean on all the times that um, this 12 steps of recovery had helped me overcome grief, helped me tell myself the truth, even on days when it wasn't pleasant. So um, that's what recovery means to me. And so what I'm curious of is the story. You said that when you started in recovery, um, nobody knew who you were. Oh, they knew. They just they just didn't out me. Okay, okay. So, what? Give us a little more detail so our listeners could get to know who you were in the celebrity world and and what that looked like. <laughs> I don't know if I was a celebrity so much. I, I I've lived in the same town since 1989. Been in the television market since uh, 87 or 88, and so. Uh, I moved from there to a pretty high-profile position um, at a financial services firm. So, so I'd been in television for like uh, five or six, seven years, something like that. Um, and so then I doing became doing what? Uh, I, I was a reporter. Okay. A television journalist, getting okay. paid poorly to do things mother told you never to do. It just so happens that uh, during that time, we had this interesting um, young governor who decided to run for president in 1990. His name, you might be familiar with him. His name is Bill Clinton. Mm. And so I got to cover Clinton's presidential run, even all those years I covered him as governor. And um, so, uh, you know, I'd covered this presidential campaign and, um, you know, it was fun. I was, I was actually in Little Rock on the night he was elected president. I was there 
the day that he announced uh, that he was running for the presidency and all of the network people when he was in Arkansas, all of the network people would throw us local reporters um, up front so that he would recognize our faces and he would stop. Um, and, and of, there was an, there was another hierarchy, uh, network people go to the back, local reporters go to the front and to the very, very, very front, the local female blonde reporters. I was a blonde at the time. And so, um, yeah, it was, those were kind of heady times, Omar. We had fun. Um, uh, I spent a lot of years in radio just for, for, for fun. Um, so yeah, by now it's like 2012. I've been in and out of television for a long, long, long time in radio. And, um, um, now I'm the communications manager for, for, uh, the municipality. And so I'm the spokesperson. My name gets in the paper and the gift that, uh, that group of, of women and men at community Bible church, uh, celebrate recovery the gift that they gave me the first year was um letting letting me buy into the delusion that they didn't know who i was they had zero expectations of me other than to just show up and if i can't if i can't uh talk that night if i can't give back that night that's okay because i'm just showing up so you go from this, and there's a lot. It seems like you're battling with imposter syndrome. You're battling with perfectionism. You're battling with professionalism. You're very accomplished, yet you cannot give yourself any sort of credit whatsoever because that's what you're supposed to be doing. So your entire life is, well, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. So how can I be, how can I take joy pleasure, happiness, fulfillment in what I'm supposed to be doing anyway. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so no wonder you're so pissed off. <laughs> yes, exactly. It sounds ridiculous, doesn't it, Omar? It, it does. It, it sounds dumb. It is, except for the fact that it's real to you. So in the step work, in when you talk about doing your fourth step in celebrate recovery, were you able to find the root causes for all of this inability to experience joy? Was this just this? Did you feel guilty for being alive? Uh, what was the root cause for all this anger, bitterness, resentment? I mean, the list goes on and on and on to the point where number one, I'm just pissed off because people are dying and I don't get it and. I'm unhappy. And also, there's this sense of unworthiness mm -hmm. where I have to maintain this level of performance, perfectionism that's unsustainable. And it ultimately is, is, is going to cripple. It went, were you able to give yourself a break? I'm still working on that. I mean, okay. you know, this is my fifth time through step four. And uh, uh, the last time I worked, through the steps, uh, I, I thought that my my um, my biggest struggle was self doubt. I mean, and that's understandable given the the loss of a close friend, the loss of a job, um, moving in with my mom at age fifty five, fifty four. Mm -hmm. um, um, but this time through the steps, it's like, wait a minute, that's 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 not it. It's 
It's perfectionism. Um, there's a whole lot of things wrapped up in here. Uh, I don't talk about codependency and anxiety. It's not that they don't, they're not there. It's just that um, they're not as big a deal as um, anger, resentment, comparison, and 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 now I've got a laser focus on 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 perfectionism. So if 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 I'm expecting myself to be perfect, I'm expecting other people to be perfect because I'm expecting that God expects me to be perfect. Wait a minute, that's not true. None of that's true. And so over the past three or four years, I finally figured out that um, that God loves me as I am. Um, and I don't know which is coming next, whether that is me deciding others. I think it's I think it's that I don't expect others to be perfect. So I've started to give other people a break. And I've started accepting them for who they are. And I don't know, is that step four? Maybe. Um, I, uh, I would say more like step nine. Yeah, and me too. I would say that's more of, of a step nine situation. But it, would it be safe to say that everyone is perfectly imperfect? Yeah. And, 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 and accepting me that way is probably the hardest. But yeah, I, I what I realized is that um, for years I have had high standards for myself, and so that comes out through high standards for other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and and in the process of of making amends, people have said you weren't that horrible, you know, which helps, and that's kind of part of that process, right? Um, but again, there's the, I can do better and God expects better of me. And I was able to make those assessments in a healthier way through the step four process. My sponsor helped me do the keep it balanced thing. Mm -hmm. What good have you done? So I was able to, to do those things, um, as also, also as part of the, 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 the step four um, but I guess where I'm at now is showing grace to other people because of the grace God has shown me. That's a whole lot easier most of the time. And this year, I've gotten a lot better at learning to show myself grace, but it's still a battle. Well, there is... There's a there's also another facet which is secondary benefits. So the secondary benefits of holding on to things. So if I'm a perfectionist, which rationally is unsustainable. Rationally. Like uh, as a as a human being that processes information, perfection does not exist. Mm-hmm. So holding myself to that standard is an impossibility. It's in a test. It's a test in futility. So as I create these high standards for myself and for others, I'm self sabotaging myself. Mm-hmm. And so, in in many cases, as far as addiction goes, when we use drugs and alcohol, it's it's a way to create an excuse 
to either reward myself or soothe myself from my failures. See, I knew I couldn't do that. You see, I couldn't do that. See, I knew it. I knew it. I, I want to say that. I'm leading, everything that I'm doing is leading up to me being able to say, I knew it. Because part of being a perfectionist is being right. Is being able to prove that I'm correct, I'm right, even if it's something that's negative. I knew I was going to fail. I knew this was going to go wrong. I knew that was going to happen. No, it just perpetuates you know, this anger and bitterness and resentment against myself. And this mm-hmm. is like I said in the beginning, this is how do I show up in the world? If I have unrealistic expectations about the world around me, then I'm going to have those. It's because I have these unrealistic expectations about myself. It's not about the results. It's about the process. And I know what you were talking about in the beginning. We all have imposter syndrome. We all have self-promotion issues. Yeah. I mean, I have, I have coaches right now that are just constantly pushing me to go next level in how I promote share. And I'm mm. like, oh, I can't do that. I don't want to do that. I'm uncomfortable with doing that. Oh, icky, icky, icky. Right? Like, I've been doing this for over three years. I, I want it to speak for itself. And I do have thousands of listeners. I do have thousands of followers. I have a, a, a very large, thriving Facebook group. I have, I have this presence and following. I'm happy with it. But as a business, because that's part of what you were talking about too, yeah. is like, how does that reflect monetarily? Because right. if I'm looking at this thing, and like you said, you know, I'm... I put it in God's hands. I'm doing something to help other people. This is something that is helping me. It's helping others. But then when I wrap a business around it and I have to wrap profit margins around it, then all of a sudden I start questioning everything. Yes. It, it stops being a passion project and becomes this, this, this sort of fear monster. Where am I doing the right thing? Should I be doing more? Should I be promoting it more? How comfortable am I with promoting myself? Am, you know, how is this? Oh, and how am I going to sell something that, that means something to me? If I'm going to build a course, mm-hmm. why am I not giving it away to people who need it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, because I had to buy my CR books and the, the having to buy them probably meant that I had skin in the game and needed to actually use them. So yeah, you're right. It's a slippery slope. Another another cliche. <laughs> and here's yeah. the thing that I'll tell you, Tracy. And then the, my next, uh, I've got two questions. But here's one thing to to consider before we jump into reboot: the idea that you can do it multifaceted. And if you've ever read the book by. Uh, Gary Vaynerchuk. Um, well, his two books are are super impactful in my life. Number one, the first one is Crush It, the other one is uh, Jab 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 Left Hook or Right Hook. One of the two. I forget whether it's Left Hook or Right Hook. But the whole idea is Jab 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 is Give Give Give. Right Hook is Ask. So Give 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 and then Ask. And so that's where I'm at in my journey. Three years into the Share Podcast. Podcast is for free. The Facebook group is for free. My engagement has always been for free, right? So there was like this. Here's this thing where I'm I'm there. I'm part of my community on the give back. 
And so only recently have I created a business around it just because I have so much knowledge and experience on so many things, on business, on relationships, on execution, on recovery, on addiction. I I mean, the list goes on and on and the light bulb goes on and says, okay, well, I have something. I feel comfortable in teaching. So if I package it properly, then I can I can attach a price tag to it. But even but even still there is always that discomfort that comes with asking for money. And so so with that being said, tell us a little bit about the rebooted you said a year and a half now? Yeah, yeah. I just okay. posted episode 30 today. Congratulations. Episode 30. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, how often I, do you release? The the first year I released two a month and I'm backing off. My business coach says, uh, you've got enough content. It is time to drive people to the content. So uh, he has uh, strongly encouraged me to just do one a month for now. Um, uh, I, I think that my approach to uh, recovery is a little bit different. Uh, I, I, I started out wanting to, um, to, uh, model the story nights that we have every other week at Celebrate Recovery, um, and and what I've known about recovery for most of my time in recovery is that that uh, the twelve steps of recovery are very much like the the leadership principles that um, we pay a whole lot of money for for. Um, uh, self-improvement books, leadership mm-hmm. books, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. We just call it something different. Mm-hmm. So um, when I launched Reboots, I, I knew that I wanted to have two different types of stories. I wanted to do life, faith, and recovery stories. On, and on alternating weeks, I wanted to do um, business, creativity, and entrepreneurship stories. So I have this like really broad spectrum of different types of stories. It turns out that um, that um, no matter what type of recovery you're engaging in, the um, the necessary tools are very similar. Um, you've you've got to um, tell yourself the truth about yourself. Um, you've got to have a great community, which is the thing that I rejected for so many years mm. and found at Celebrate Recovery that. And that's the thing I wasn't looking for. God and I could figure it out. Uh, I don't need anybody else. Well, the truth is that I'm still going to continue lying to myself if I don't have the, the the proper community. I also need to have a really healthy relationship of, uh, with um, uh, how I see God. Uh, either either He doesn't exist and I'm fine with it, or He He might exist and I need to be fine with that. Um. Or, yes, I believe he does exist, and I really don't get to tear out the things about um, Jesus' teachings that make me uncomfortable. I had to do it all. Um, so, you know, and even in the case where if, if, if you're an entrepreneur and you don't, you don't believe in, in um, God or Jesus or any of that, uh, you lean into Stoicism, right? Um, you, you lean into that really heavily in terms of uh, uh, 
the world doesn't give a hoot about me. The world is at best indifferent to me is a kind of a, a, a quote from um, um, Ryan Holiday's uh, book. Um, I can't remember the name of it right now. Um, Got me. That book. Anyway, <laughs> I'll, send, I'll send it to you. Um, so I've, I've spent the past year exploring all of these different things, interviewing different people. Was there reboot a moment, a, a series of moments or a series of choices? Yeah, it's all of the above. You, you can have a moment of clarity, whether it's related to your business or um, uh, a matter of faith or recovery. But without a series of daily choices, usually nothing's going to happen. You know, we, we have to make a series of choices every day about our habits. And I, and I honestly believe that um, my journaling habits have helped me learn to tell myself the truth. Mm. I think that probably, uh, you know, we, we talk about step 10 as a maintenance step. Well, my step 10 is not a maintenance step. Um, my step 10 helps me actively root out um, perfectionism. Um, but I think equally as powerful is just this thing that I started doing several years ago. I quit for a while um, and I've done it regularly since uh, about February. I write myself a note for the next day. I call it a, an NTNDS, a note to my next day self. Um, where uh, I may have to make an amend for Thursday, Tracy, because uh, Wednesday, Tracy didn't get a lot done today. Um, I may get to praise uh, tomorrow, Tracy, or encourage tomorrow, Tracy. I'm learning to be a lot more kind to my next day self. And... Um, so every evening I do, I, I, I sort of riff off of that a little bit. Um, I don't have it in front of me, but uh, the first question is, what good did I do today? So I try to keep it balanced. Um, one of the questions that kicks my rear end on a regular basis is, um, what did I not do today that I should have? Which pretty often is just a line of bull, right? It's, it's my way of just saying, Go easy on yourself. And I'm going to write down that thing. I should have walked today. Well, you were on your feet a lot the day before, right? So it gives me room to beat myself up and, and then roll my eyes saying, well, that was just stupid. So I ask myself a series of eight questions. In either of these, I don't let myself spend more than 10 minutes on the exercise because otherwise I'll never do it. But I think that I think that journaling is an incredibly powerful thing to do in recovery and in life so that we can tell ourselves the truth. And, and I actually have a, 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 a little give that I would be glad to give to your audience on either one of those things. Um, if, if you think that your listeners would be interested in either one of these things, I've got one already made, the other I'll be happy to make. I'm not going to tell you which one because I want you to honestly tell me if you think your folks might be interested in a how-to guide for one of these things, and if so, which one it is. And I'll just put it together and and uh, just kind of kind of share my experience with your folks. The how-to guide. The, are you talking about those eight questions? Yes, that's I my would, step ten. 
Okay, so you have a series of, and that would be your how-to guide? Yeah. Yeah. It's real super easy. What it was just, the other one? You uh, said you've the got other two. One, yeah, the other one uh, is um, why and how I write a note to my next day self every day. That's pretty cool. They're both pretty cool. Uh, probably what, like a, a PDF? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure the listeners would love either one of those. I It's a concept I've never even discussed, writing a note to my tomorrow self or next day self. Is that what it is? Yeah. Why don't I just put, but one of them's already made. I'll just build just the send, other one. Send, and, me the, uh, send me the one that you have done. Let's not create okay. more work for you. Well, send me that I mean, one. You know, unless you feel you know compelled to do so, um, but I was I was going to ask you what those eight questions were, but it, instead just send yeah, I don't a, I don't have my book with me, my brother. I, no. I normally have it right next to me, but mm-hmm. I just uh, I, I I don't have it next to me. The idea of trying to connect with source. This is it: meditation, prayer, journaling. These morning routines where we're simply connecting with source and. Meditation, journaling are some of the strongest ways to connect, and uh, I'm sure you've heard then of the morning pages. Yes, the artist way. So that's yes. something that's that's that gets recommended a lot. So in yes. the recovery realm, the idea of the morning ritual and of journaling very popular and very transformative, and yes. this this idea of perfectionism in many cases is just an excuse, right? Oh, sure. And so if I can't do it perfect or if it doesn't stay perfect or if it's not perfect, then what's the point? And so it's a cop-out. And it's a, way of, it's a way of beating myself up. And again, where's the secondary benefit of all this is if I beat myself enough, if I put myself through enough pain to where I start to suffer, eventually what I'm going to have to do is soothe myself with something. That's <laughs> true. By deciding that I'm better than that person over there who's making me angry in the checkout line, and I'm going to go show them how much better I am than they mm-hmm. are and show mm-hmm. my ire, right? Or I'm mm-hmm. going to honk at the guy who put me cut cut me off in traffic because I'm mm-hmm. I'm better than they are. Yeah. Um, have you read John Acuff's perf- uh, uh, John Acuff's uh, finish? His name is John J O N A C U F F, and he wrote the book Finish. That's that's a business book, but in the past six months, that book has influenced my recovery as much as anything I've read recovery related, because it deals with perfectionism mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and all of the different ways that perfectionism lies to us and gets us to hide in the things that we do well. Mm-hmm. So you know, uh, uh, there are just so many different things that we can do to keep ourselves from doing the thing that. Uh, we could get better at if we we would just try and fail a few times. Correct. Correct. And everything that we've ever done, including even launching our podcast or whatever. I mean, we're making mistakes along the way because you're starting out. You haven't developed the practice yet. With practice comes perfection. Sometimes. If you take the the negative connotation out of perfectionism, um, and you look at it in the sense where it becomes effortless effort. Yes. It's not so much about being flawless. It's perfect now because 
it's become something that I can sustain. I don't think about my podcast. I don't think about, I don't get on a podcast nervous about doing an interview, hosting an interview. It doesn't cross my mind. I don't think about, you know, it, it just, it's not, it's, it's not a part of my anxiety the way it was when I first launched. Yes, me too. And so there's that after a while with this practice, with the practice of journaling, with the practice of meditation, the practice of recovery, working the steps, everything is a practice. Patience is a practice. So with all of these things that I, I do, and then, like you say, we get comfortable in the things that we're really good at, that we have mastered. There's that, that idea of mastery. Um, and then moving out of that, ugh, oh man, I've already mastered this. That, was, that, that took some time. Now I don't want to master that. And, and it, it's just having these conversations helps. It starts, it starts to kind of break that, that, that very rigid shell that we've put around whatever it is that we want to do and are too afraid to take that next step. Boy, a rigid shell. Mm-hmm. I like how you put that, Omar. That's true. Yeah. So now what's the big plans for, for Reboot? Um, I'm continuing to, to uh, talk to amazing people like you. I, I, I've, I've been on a podcast tour uh, the past couple of months, um, and I've tried uh, working with the business and faith podcasts, but honest to goodness, I feel most comfortable in the recovery space, Omar. And I don't know, I honestly don't know, does that mean I'll deal exclusively with exclusively with recovery stories going forward? I'm getting a ton of really good feedback feedback um, with some of my journaling tips. Maybe that's where I go with this. I, I don't know. So where am I going next? Uh, where am I going to be in a year? I don't have a clue. Where am I going to be um, in the next 60 days? I'm going to run some experiments on journaling um, and see where that takes me. Uh, I'm going to keep doing uh, a, a podcast every month. Uh, it's very possible that next year I'll increase my tempo for two or three months and that uh, I'll come back through some of the podcast episodes that I've done, maybe some of the new friends that I've met, like you, if you're willing, and talk about journaling. Um, I, there are a whole bunch of YouTube videos about journaling. None of them have to do with um, the recovery principles, and a lot of them are flowery, um, which if that's therapeutic for you, if art is therapeutic for you, that's great, but I just want to get it done, right? I want to work my recovery. I don't want to draw flowers. Um, <laughs> there's not a podcast. I mean, you know, there, there's not a podcast that talks about the benefits of journaling. And maybe there's a reason for that, but maybe it's an opportunity. I don't know, but it's kind of what I'm looking at right now. That's the beautiful thing about podcasting. You could just pretty much do a podcast about anything that you're passionate about. The key is to be passionate about it. Yes. And don't you think it might be interesting to to go back uh, to previous recovery stories the people who have said journaling was a big part of their recovery and then just kind of do a deep dive on just that part of their recovery. It, it, 
maybe that's just a super important tool for any of us navigating a reboot to learn how to do and to do it in less than 10 minutes a day. Journal, mm-hmm. I love I love pages. I love morning pages. I did morning pages six days a week for like 10 months uh, after my friend died. I needed it. I sent my morning pages to my sponsor six days a week and God bless her. She read every single word. But I'm back to a, a, a stage where I spend less than an hour a day on on journaling, but I do so in 15-minute increments. And I think that is important to me because I get reps, and they're very pointed and specific questions. And if that can help me navigate my reboot, maybe it can help other people navigate their reboot, and they do so in a way that doesn't seem so scary. That's a practice. Yes. I'm just kind of spitballing here, Omar. But I like it. Journaling in less than 10 minutes. Journaling less than 10 minutes a day. Like there's a, there's a slogan in there, right? Or even a name, right? A you, there may be. There may be. Right? So for your podcast idea. Because people like fast, down and, you know, quick and dirty, right? So journaling less than 10 minutes a day is a good, is a good hook. It's like the five-minute journal, it's like the miracle morning. Mm-hmm. Everything Maybe is under so. everything is under ten minutes, right? Uh, seven minute abs. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> You're funny. <laughs> all right, all right. So, Tracy, if if our listeners want to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to find you? Um, I'm at Tracy Places uh, on Twitter and Instagram, and that's T-R-A-C-Y-P-L-A-C-E-S. Um, I'm at The Reboots Podcast on uh, Facebook and Instagram, and there's an S in there. Um, my website is uh, rebootspodcast.com. You can shoot me an email, Tracy at rebootspodcast.com. I'd, I'd love to to share my recovery journey. I know it's a little bit different from, from what you normally deal with, um, but it's my prayer that I don't take my recovery any less seriously than uh, anyone else. Uh, It's a big deal for me. It's important. It's my life now. Um, You've asked me a lot of, a lot of tough questions that challenge me. um, And I appreciate the opportunity to, to do that because I think it helps me get better. And, and yes, there's still that Tracy with an edge, you know, um, I expect a lot of myself, but having sponsees and teaching the 12 steps of recovery and sharing my story, I believe has softened me a little bit. Um, so I, I just, I just want to give back. So, um, I would love to hear from, from your folks and I'll, I'll put together, um, uh, this little give and I'll send you a link. I'm guessing it's going to be rebootspodcast.com forward slash S H A I R, but I'll send you the link for sure. You can put it in the show notes. And I just, I can't tell you Omar how much I appreciate your time and your interest and your encouragement and um, your efforts to break down the, uh, the stigma of recovery, because I think the world needs recovery. You're right. Everybody needs it. Let's 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 make it accessible to anybody who wants to get better. Well, the good news is, um, 
Unless you're Tom Hanks sitting on an island with Wilson, all you got to do is Google recovery, and it's there. There is there is no stigma online unless you're looking for it. Yeah. Because there's so much positive support for every aspect of recovery, every pathway, um, every issue. That's the that's the power of the internet, the power of the of of the global uh, recovery movement. It's here. Yeah. It's now. I mean, it, it's we're benefiting from it because we don't have to hide. I can be very yeah, loud yeah. and proud about my recovery and not worry about it. Um, yeah. I can't tell you. I can't tell you when I've when I've even felt it. Um, but then again, I don't care. That's that's another that's a gift that I have. Yeah, me too. That that when you know there was a point in my life where I cared about what everybody thought about me, and then there comes that point where I don't care what anybody thinks about me. It's this huge this the shift that happens. But then that that also happened around the time that I could care less whether I lived or died. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's the that's the cool thing about the the addict that the 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 addict that has that rock bottom moment where you're looking death in the face and you're going, "Bring it on, brother! I'm ready to go. Just show me the way, because I'm 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 done here. I'm done here." And when that happens, you drop, you let go of a lot of things. Perfectionism of one of them, people pleasing, and as others, need for self acceptance. All these things just start to drop off when you you kind of make peace with your own mortality um and and with that i'll give you a quick reframe on the perfectionism and it looks like i expect a lot from myself kind of a thing which is i have high standards yes that could mean anything but it's positive and implies that i value Myself and what I'm doing. Yeah, I like that, Omar. Thank you. Let's move away from these absolutes. The best, the most, always, never, perfection. We move away from that, and now all of a sudden, I have high standards. I care. I care. I have high standards because I care. I bring as much as I do because I believe in what I'm doing. I bring value to the world. And then all of a sudden, the emotional state changes. Mm -hmm. Because I'm no longer attached to any sort of negativity. The words have power. Yeah, Words have power and they immediately evoke emotional, an emotional state. Immediately. I just, I just have a short term memory. I'll have to do that about a hundred times, but I'll finally get there. It's called a practice. It it's is. Called, it's called the. It's everything's a practice, Tracy. You're right. <laughs> All it right, is. let's start. Let's start closing down. Are you ready? Yes, sir. All right. To the best of your ability, answer these questions that I have for you um, about your early recovery for our newcomers. Number one, what was keeping you from getting clean or staying clean? And, and again, this is drug and alcohol related, but. When you first got introduced to recovery, what was what was your what was preventing you from really embracing the idea of of recovery? Pride. I don't need no help. Mm-hmm. I got this. I got this. At what point, number two, at what point did you have a spiritual awakening, that aha moment in recovery, when you accepted that you were powerless over 
all your anger, bitterness, guilt, grief, but for the first time had developed, they developed the hope that you could recover. There were a few worship songs that resonated with me, and the one that jumps to the top of my mind in this moment is Big Daddy Weave, I'm Redeemed. Um, and just the words to that that song, um, uh, I don't have to be the old man inside of me. Um, I've got a new name. Um, I'm kind of butchering this on the it's on the fly, but because uh, I'm not going to sing it for you, <laughs> just not. But there were two or three songs like that, and um, it finally got through to me. Beautiful, beautiful. And um, number three, do you have a favorite book that you would recommend to our newcomers? Uh, I really like the John Acuff book, Finish. Uh, the The name of the book that I couldn't remember, uh, I was trying to quote Ryan Holiday, is The Obstacle is the Way. Mm. Um, and, and that'll, like that. the, so, so that'll either one of those will work, uh, no matter where you are in or out of your faith journey or out of confusion. Those aren't, um, real preachy. Those are secular books. John A. Cuffs. Yeah. John A. Cuffs finish. Yeah. With key takeaway review. Oh, this is, oh, it's an audio too. Audio books. Oh yeah. And the audio, Johnny Acuff's audio book is better because he actually does some riffs and tells some stories that aren't in the book. It's excellent. Super good. Uh, like the, I like this because um, so many of my clients, perfectionism is, is it's, it's, it's part of the story. And it's this idea that's unsustainable. I put myself through the meat grinder. The more I suffer, the more pain I go through the more I can reward myself with something. And that's a in, lie. In comes the soothing mechanism, in comes justification, and then the cycle just perpetuates. You remove the perfectionism, you remove that mindset, I immediately get the relief. I immediately get the relief. And I'm, I'm three months into this little process, and, and I'm, I'm better. I, I, I know what it tastes like to let that go. Oh, it, it, it will happen. Seek and you shall find. That's part of the process. That's part of the, you know, if we were talking about the Bible, right? Seek and you shall find. If I am looking for relief, if I'm looking to let go, I will find it. If I'm right. looking to hold on to it, I will find that too. Seek and you shall find. Number four, what is the best suggestion you have ever received? Um, it's definitely out of, out of the, the serenity prayer. Um, I'm just trying to figure out which one is, which piece is resonating with me most now. The wisdom to know the difference. Yeah. I think accepting hardship as a pathway to peace was a, was probably the biggest deal for me. Um, because it was the first time in my life I had ever actually understood that life doesn't have to be perfect that nobody has a perfect life. There's no story without a struggle. Yeah. That's right up there with Viktor Frankl. How can I how can I serve others when I have no idea how to empathize with them? Yeah. How can I be a 19-year-old life coach? <laughs> Good luck with that. You know, how can I explain to somebody about recovery if I have not recovered? How can mm -hmm. I explain to someone how to get through grief? Mm -hmm. yeah. What is my cross or crosses that I bear? There is no story without a struggle. There is no coach without experience. 
Yeah, you're right. I wouldn't change a thing. I wouldn't change a thing. I would have hired a coach early on. I probably would have done that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> My NLP coach, it was, uh, it was, not, it was not, we're talking about a year ago. I worked all 12 steps in Narcotics Anonymous. It took me four years the way I worked it with my sponsor. It was grueling, rigorous, honest. Mm. It was fearless and it was very deep. So I, I, there was no rushing. In other words, there was no rushing. So four years of working through the steps. Then practice, another 10 years of practice. And then I decided to, to shift and, and move fields. And then I, I started taking courses. And then one of the guys that I was taking courses from, I said, dude, I need you to coach me one-on-one. That single-handedly was the thing that changed my life. And then since then, I have been able to do the same thing with other people. Hmm. So if I am unable... And so then when I think about like when people say, would you change anything? I said, no, I wouldn't change anything except... Maybe when I was in college, I would have hired a coach. And, 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 but, then, but then again, maybe the story would be different. I don't know. So maybe I, maybe I go back to no, I wouldn't. <laughs> no. I, I saw where you were headed with that before you did, Omar. I knew where that was going to go if you just kept talking through it. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes we just, but you see how the magic of that is? I do. The answers are inside you, Tracy. And there was no point in me arguing with you or cutting you off. You needed to process that. You didn't need me to tell you mm-hmm. where you were headed with that. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. I just need you to be there. There is there is greatness in silence. Power, power, power in silence. Number five, if you could give our newcomers only one suggestion, what would it be? Just show up. Seriously, just show up, whether it's to um, to your... Uh, share Facebook page or a no kidding meeting. That's enough. I I I, <clears throat> I get to lead a newcomers group at two recoveries, and the power in women and men who show up the first time. Um, <laughs> heck, sometimes the first time they show up, they sit in the car two or three weeks. They'll show up, sit in the car, and leave. Show up, sit in the car, and leave. But then when they finally come, get their rear end in a seat. If they'll just keep doing that, sometimes after, you know, a couple of months, um, they start to add to that skill set. And for me, it took it took months and that's about all I could do was show up. That was hard work and it was enough. So don't ever dismiss the difficulty of just showing up. Bring the body, the mind will follow. Yep. Or as we say in NA and AA, keep coming back. It works if you work it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there it is. Keep coming back, same. Just show up. Just be there. Bring the body, the mind will follow. And celebrate it. Celebrate that you showed up. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I had one of my interviewees, Sam Mooney, who would talk about that was one of his closing the suggestion for the newcomer celebrate the milestones oh yeah which is it's discouraged sometimes in in the 12 step fellowships don't get too excited really? about shit you know don't get too really don't get, too, don't get too excited don't say i'm so proud you're grateful 
All right, don't don't get too excited, right? This is what you're supposed to be doing. See, I think that's dumb because I think that's what got me into recovery. Well, that's what, when he mentioned that, I felt the power in the message, and it, it, it was why I'm mentioning it now, that we don't celebrate the wins enough, no matter what it is. I lost a pound, okay? I ate right for today. Um, I showed up. Okay, I did one positive thing towards my recovery. So there is these this idea of rewarding myself because that's what I've been doing my whole life when I'm in addiction. I'm constantly looking for reasons to reward myself with soothing agents. And so mm. if I can just soothe myself with some self-esteem and some self-worth and some accomplishments, and celebrate my wins and just say, wow, I did this. This feels good. Because here it is. I mean, all day long, all day long, I can talk about how, oh, man, I'm not good enough for this. And, oh, I could do that better. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, I hear you. But, and so I'm minimizing what I'm doing. I'm minimizing the accolades. I'm minimizing the compliments. I'm minimizing my accomplishments. And we do, and we we have a tendency. I was, you know, we we have a tendency to do that, as opposed to really celebrating the things that I do right. I could eat right all day, but then I had a candy bar, and that's all I focus on. If I just wouldn't have eaten the candy bar, or wow, I ate good all day and the only thing that I rewarded myself with was a candy bar. Maybe tomorrow I'll just go straight through. Or better yet, um, that moment where where we say, um, I'm trying so hard not to eat candy because I know my life depends on it. And so we do one of two or three things. We um, say, look, I deserve to not eat that candy bar because I love my life and I want to be around another 15 years and not worry about diabetes. Or I know that's how I should feel, but right now I just want the candy bar, but instead I called my sponsor. Or I threw the darn thing out the window. (laughs) You know, right? (laughs) So you just twist that around and you realize... And, and 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 I get I get sponsees call and and I've done this with my sponsor. I almost yelled at the woman who was standing in my way because that's kind of one of my triggers is people who stand in my way at the at the checkout line. I just want to go around them and I just I intimidate them. So I didn't do that. This lady really made me mad. I didn't do that. And I'm gonna now let my sponsor know. I just had this moment where I could have said I sure hate being in your way, lady, when I didn't do that. And my sponsor is going to make that a whole big deal because I didn't I didn't react to that lady who made me mad because I'm you know, I'm I'm five, six and a half. I'm I've got a deep voice. Uh, That TV voice comes on. I have enjoyed intimidating people, but I didn't intimidate that person. And so I reached out to my sponsor. She's going to say we're going to celebrate two things. You told me about your victory and you didn't do the thing that we've been working on you not doing. We're going to make a whole big deal out of that. So you already you already know how to do the reframing, in some ways, but I I don't know when I'm missing it. Well, it's it's the idea, it's the idea of being mindful. So number one, I'm I'm mindful, I'm aware. 
when I feel agitated, frustrated, fearful, I'm focusing on what I don't want. So I can reframe whatever it is that I'm looking at. You did this with the, the person that was in front of you because that's what you were working at. Seek and you shall find. If I'm looking to reframe my perfectionism and my fears, then as it comes, I will ask myself a better question. Yes, exactly. And use different words. Just a practice. That's all it is. It's a practice. And we can't do it alone. No, we can't. That's it. Five that's years the, ago, the, I would have. The, five yeah. years ago, I would have said that's a lie, but I was an idiot. Cannot do this alone. No, wait, do you're this right. Alone. You're right. Tracy, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Omar. I I, I love the work you're doing, uh, and and I appreciate the opportunity to to hang out with you and your tribe. It's my pleasure. Keep doing what you're doing. I'm super proud of you. Um, and here, this is a great interview for people that when we talk, because we say this all the time, at least in my tribe, if everyone worked the 12 steps, the world would be a better place. And here is someone who normally would have said right from the beginning, this is about drugs and alcohol. I'm not going in there and faced my fears, went in and said, you know what? I think I can recover here. And boom, here we are. Five years later, killing it with a new podcast on recovery. You go, girl. Kind of amazing, isn't it? Very amazing. It's what I say, HP, baby. <laughs> higher, <laughs> higher, higher power, baby. Yes. <laughs> yes, definitely. All right. All right, folks, we've now reached the end of our show. Thanks for joining us. And as we say here in Costa Rica, pura vida. Pura vida. Thank you for joining us on the Share Recovery Podcast. To check out the show notes page on this interview or to thank our guests for sharing their story, go to www.thesharepodcast.com. While you're on the website, don't forget to sign up for our free newsletter to stay up to date on the latest news, podcasts, and interviews. Want to be one of our guests and share your story? Then go to our website and click on the Share Your Story button. We share our inspiring recovery stories every Tuesday. So subscribe to our show on iTunes or Stitcher Radio to get your free weekly download. We'll see you then. The opinions shared on this show reflect those of the individual speaker and not of any 12-step fellowship as a whole. And though we discuss 12-step recovery and the impact it had in our lives, we do not promote or endorse any 12-step anonymous program.